as much as I'm sure the board cares about me, I'm sure they care about having a sales leader or co-founder in place who's capable of doing the job. And that was always holding a lot of weight in the back of my head, like, shit, I'm going to come back. Like, I need to crush Q3. I'm like recovering <laughs> oh, no. from coronavirus still. Like, Oh, my God. So, yeah, it was it was not easy. Welcome to NPS I Love You, a podcast powered by Catalyst. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and this show is all about awesome people, ideas, and stories, all with a customer success twist. On NPS I Love You, I talk to everyone from artists to scientists, CEOs to CSMs, and everyone in between to give you powerful insights that will help you in your career and in life. Kevin Chu is the co-founder and COO at Catalyst. You may have heard about Kevin in our very first episode when his brother Edward discussed his near-death experience due to COVID-19. Well, today, Kevin and I discussed his memories from that time, his difficult experience recovering, and how everything it taught him has changed how he lives his life today. So it must have been weird having that first episode be literally all about you, and yet, like, you were not on the podcast. It was Edward talking about his whole experience with you when you were unconscious and on a ventilator and all that. Was that weird to listen to? It was. It was weird, for sure. It was definitely very emotional. I think I had heard Edward talk about it to me, maybe not even to that full extent. It's a really, really hard thing for somebody to obviously talk about and recap, I mean, look, basically all of March, the two, last two weeks of that month when I was in a basically a coma, wow. I heard what had happened from everybody else except my own memory. I, I really don't remember anything. Yeah, I had to recap. He had everything written down in a Google Doc uh, with my mom and my girlfriend. They all wrote down like this autobiography version of what they saw had happened. That's crazy. And I would read it. Actually, I when I got out of the hospital, I would like read it and only in bits and pieces because it gave me so much anxiety. Like as I got out of the hospital, I was like, I don't want to read this. Like I don't want to read the 15 medicines that Ed was talking about that they'd put me on and like my oxygen level. So oh my God. very weird for sure. And if anything, like I heard the most, the most context I'd ever heard from not even talking to him directly. Cause it's, it's a tough topic for sure. Definitely. I didn't realize that. I mean, I guess I'm just not, I'm not as uh, in tune with the, the specifics of that, but are you automatically like, do they put you in an induced coma if they're putting you on a ventilator? So from what I know, which is not from memory. <laughs> from Ed, let's get Ed back on the show. I'll just, we'll, <laughs> <laughs> let's get Ed back. He'll probably be able to tell a more accurate version because mine's just completely fabricated, made up. I remember having the ambulance called, wasn't me calling it. I remember text. I don't think Ed mentioned this on the first podcast episode, and I actually don't remember doing this. I only remember seeing it when my I, my new iPhone, because my iPhone broke in the hospital, and I backed it up to iCloud, to which only got like five days leading up to the event, because then my phone went offline because it broke in the hospital. Oh, wow. And I sent this text message to Edward apparently at 4 a.m. in the morning, and this text message says, help, I can't breathe. And my girlfriend, who's an absolute lifesaver, was keeping me on FaceTime every single night to just see if I was breathing and could hear me because she was also quarantined mm -hmm. um, at my parents. And she knew that I couldn't breathe. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it past tonight. Shit. Holy shit, it's kind of emotional to talk about. It's fucking crazy. I remember going to the hospital and that's it. Apparently, I had texted edward and was asking him hey they're telling me that i'm gonna go on a ventilator 
and I don't know if like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, you should definitely do it. This is all like, I don't actually remember this. And, and then I was out for almost three weeks and I woke up and I was delirious as like, I did not know what the hell was going on. That is insane. I did not realize that must've been horrifying. So who called the ambulance? I think my brother. So what happened was obviously Ed sleeping, (laughs) sound asleep at four in the morning. My girlfriend, like I told her, I was like, I can't breathe. Like, I don't think I'm going to make it. And you know, like I could barely talk. She just gets a cab, hauls down to my apartment from my parents' farm where she was staying, bangs on Edward's door at like four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. Can't get a hold. Starts ringing his doorbell. Finally, he gets up and they call the ambulance. And I remember the ambulance gets to my apartment and they took so long to get like, cause they didn't know what was wrong with me they had to like get all their gear up so there was probably a hour and a half two hour period where i remember just laying there like holy shit i don't know if i'm gonna die in the like next two hours but these people are supposed to come in here and get me and i physically cannot walk and get out of bed and what the hell eventually i like got the strength however i could because they couldn't get the stretcher in there and they couldn't carry me or they tried and so like i had to like kind of walk half with them carrying me to the stretcher and then get in the ambulance and then boom i'm out cold i don't remember a a single thing that's nuts what's the first thing you remember when you woke back up i was so delirious when i woke up so completely out of the moment but like you must have had the driest mouth in existence like i've seen on those ventilators (laughs) i can't even imagine how that must have felt coming off being intubated so the first thought in my head was not, I, I have a dry mouth. I think <laughs> it's breath, like, where the, where the fuck am I? <laughs> True, that too, that too. Like, I don't even remember waking up. I was very delirious. And if anything, like making up things that I was seeing. I do remember my phone broke and this doctor came in and had my brother on FaceTime, you know, like telling me how work was going. He's like, you're going to be all right. And I remember being very emotional, crying and having this conversation with him. And Ed actually recorded, probably Leslie recorded him having this FaceTime so he could send it to my mom to show that I'm okay. Right. I ended up watching this video and holy shit, I was in bad shape. I'm sure. I did not remember looking like that or sounding like that. Like I had no voice. I had actually lost my voice almost completely. Wow. So that was really tough. And I, then the next 48 hours was like very painful for many reasons and they ended up sending me home after that 48 hours and was really tough because I was again not in good condition like they actually should have kept me for another two weeks but they needed the hospital bed for for somebody else who was about to die you know I'm actually pretty sure they sent many patients out of the hospital in that condition which is crazy yeah not what you want where did you uh, like after the hospital was that because I know you went out to California for a while Was that like directly right after or were you in New York for a bit after and then you went out? So when I first got back out, I remember weighing, I usually walk around at like 165 pounds. I was 140. I couldn't walk. I couldn't eat. Couldn't brush my teeth. I couldn't drink anything. Really like not in good shape. And I left the hospital with a prescription for like Tylenol and and vitamins. That's all you need. Yeah, that's that's all you need. You're good, buddy. Uh, We'll see you later. And I was dealing with something that they call like ICU delirium, which is basically when you are in ICU in an induced coma, 
you obviously like usually you can get family nearby you know this is what doctors say is like you get family nearby so you could hear their voices when you're in the coma and so you like know where you are but like because of like you're just in there isolated by yourself like barely doctors are going in there because like they don't want to get coronavirus the like lack of you know obviously oxygen real oxygen you don't know daytime nighttime like and all the drugs, like I probably had like 15 different types of drugs pumped through my body throughout the time, just very delirious and had to go back in to just make sure I was like mentally stable. And I spent like a seven day period in there that helped me really get back on my feet. And then, then after that, I went to California. I was in New York for about a day after getting out that second time. And first thing I got was a massive box of upside pizza. <laughs> just i needed a sliced pepperoni oh my god uh hospitals they just don't have good pepperonis it must have tasted like the best pizza you've ever had in your entire life is post induced coma post like the <laughs> readmission like that nothing would taste better than that it was freaking incredible i remember the first time i got out my girlfriend was like what do you want to eat and i'm like oh let's get sushi and ordered all this food i couldn't even put any of it down like i had no appetite could barely get the food down and so that seven day period really really helped so it sounds like after that seven day you're doing much better but obviously you're still in like major recovery mode what were the next couple months like like how was kind of that recovery process at home very boring there wasn't really much to do in orange county right like my friends are still working i'm not really in any condition to like go out edward wouldn't let you back on the slack channel right yeah i was about to say that uh my own brother had locked me out of my slack changed my password changed my email password he knows me i would have checked it and my instructions was to absolutely no checking anything for at least a month if not two and then slowly they would be documenting information to catch me back up to speed and i would slowly ramp up eventually but there was uh yeah there was no work allowed and actually i had i logged off of social media twitter i i agreed with the game plan that him and the doctors had set up i I didn't really want to, you know, be on social media, see the world, read the news. So it was a lot of doing nothing, getting my voice back first and foremost. I would I remember I would record my voice with my girlfriend every night so we could hear improvements if any, and it took well over a month if not almost two to get it back. Like I was not sure if it was going to come back. And I mean so for context, like Kevin, you, you, so you, Kevin was the one who originally brought me into Catalyst. Like it was, you know, found me and we were talking and I was super excited and then he just fell off the face of the earth. <laughs> and then suddenly you just reappeared and you were just as, I mean, you had a worse haircut, but you looked just as good <laughs> as you had before I went in there, before I joined the company. Someone buzzed your head when you were recovering. But I was just like, oh, it was such a crazy, I had no idea about all this stuff that had gone on. So for me, there was like no disruption and you just seemed exactly yourself before. Do you find that coming back to work was like you're itching and raring to go? Was it really difficult to get back in and you're faking it a little? Like curious to know what that going back into that after so much trauma was like for you. Oh, uh, first and foremost, 100% faking it. It was very overwhelming to come back and a very daunting task. And it's funny that you mentioned 
I was like reaching out to you, help like interviewing you, running the panel, like making sure that you got brought on the callus, which has obviously turned out incredible. I had also reached out to Mike Roberts, who, you know, as our head of marketing, (laughs) sent him a message, was engaged on LinkedIn, had an interview scheduled. And obviously, I don't think I showed up because I was in the (laughs) hospital. And I, I really think he had to figure out like what's happening. Like Kevin just ghosted me and then connected with Brooke, our recruiter or Edward. And, you know, thankfully that worked out too, because he's done nothing but amazing things. And now we have a power duo running marketing with you two. (laughs) But yeah, very, very weird coming back to work. I remember talking to, it was like late April, early May, talking to her, like thinking like, when am I going to be able to come back? Um, I'm, I'm like thinking I'm ready, read through all the information they gave me and like started having one on ones here and there. And shit just started going really downhill for me really fast mentally. Um, I thought I felt like I was recovering, but the reason why I came back with a really shitty haircut and had shaved my head with a zero is because my hair was falling out in chunks. And if for anybody who's listening to this, you know how much I love my hair. I literally (laughs) have done my hair every single day since I could remember, like maybe when I was 10 years old, like Never missed a day. Ask anybody at work. They'd never seen me without my hair. All of a sudden, I had, my hair was falling out in chunks because of this thing that doctors say is called telogen effluvia. Basically, anytime you're in an ICU or experience like that, traumatic event, surgery, accident, your hair can take trauma and it just goes into this cycle phase and it starts to fall out. It happens a lot to women who are who are pregnant and give birth. And so I just couldn't actually deal with that stress. And yeah took the buzzer and you know put it on zero and just went went at it well i'm glad i waited until your hair is looking as good as it is now to make fun of you for it that was what i felt really bad before (laughs) yeah i would have made you feel really bad for it but there was there was so many things going on with me internally mentally like my skin was actually breaking out and it was just like i when i looked in the mirror i did not even feel or look like myself And it took me a while to just because like you have to be mentally in good shape, right, to return to work. And now more than ever, I'm such a big believer in like this work life balance and, you know, taking care of yourself. And so I had to deal with all that with returning to work, not knowing like if I was going to be able to be better than I was before. And, you know, I, I tell my executive coach, this is like a little bit of a joke, but like, you know, Catalyst is a well-funded startup and very fast growth, and we have a board. And as much as I'm sure the board cares about me, I'm sure they care about having a sales leader or co-founder in place who's capable of doing the job. Mm-hmm. And that was always holding a lot of weight in the back of my head, like, shit, I'm going to come back. Like, I need to crush Q3. I'm, like, recovering <laughs> oh, no. from coronavirus still. Like, Oh, my God. So, yeah, it was it was not easy. And it's ironic that you mentioned the work-life balance thing, because I specifically remember when you interviewed me at the Catalyst office, one of the main questions I asked you was, because it's the way that I gauge uh, you know, culture at any company, is I ask the senior leader, when was the last vacation you took? And I literally remember you saying, well, everyone takes here vacation a lot, but I haven't taken one in, in, in a couple of years. I'm probably going to get sick soon. <laughs> that was like word for word what came out of your mouth. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> And uh, so that just came back to me recently. And I was like, oh, shit, he knew. That is sounds like something I would say, because actually <laughs> I had been told that from my team is that I worked at the time was working just crazy amount of hours, obsessed with work. It's just like kind of my mindset. I hold myself to such a high standard in everything I do. And I give, you know, always 200 percent. And 
nowadays, like I have totally shifted that. Like I, you know, wrapped up Q3. We absolutely crushed it. First thing I did was booked a sweet car on Turo, drove up to upstate New York, unplugged from work for five days. And I can't wait for my next vacation. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Have you readjusted sort of your expectations that you have for yourself in general? Like, are you still feeling like you're recovering or, or do you feel like you're now kind of back to where you were before and you're ready to crush it? I wouldn't say I'm 100% back to where I was before. I'm definitely close. I would like to think I'm doing some of my best work, at least what I'm fully capable of right now. I think there's a lot more to achieve. And, you know, thankfully, I have a really great support system from my co-founder, my leadership team. I work with an amazing team of sellers who's very supportive of me in my return. Also an executive coach, you know, what therapy, things like that, my family, it's been a really great system to get me up and running in my feet. And I think I have definitely changed my perspective a lot on life is I really have to take care of myself. I think anyone has to take care of themselves mentally in the personal life and work-life balance to be able to, to come to work and do their best. You can't do that if you don't get any breaks and you're just go, go, go all the time. Eventually, someone will crash. Yeah, I think that was very much me. What do you think it is that... I mean, it's something I, I definitely agree. And it's something like, I mean, I'm literally two blocks away from, from where I live, staying in a hotel just so I can have a bit of a mental break. But what do you think it is? that like, I feel like a lot of people agree with that sentiment uh, about the importance of work-life balance and, and that sort of thing. But it's a lot harder to live, especially when you're doing stuff that you love or stuff that you're really into and you're trying to aggressively grow a company or, you know, build your career. Why do you think that is? Like, why do you think people just say one thing, but then their actions won't reflect it? Like, I'm sure before you got Corona, you would have said that, you know, work-life balance is so important. Mental health is so important. And yet you were working yourself into the ground. So curious to know kind of what was going on in your mind before with that. I think it's, it's two parts. It's like my mindset before was you look at all the most successful people in the world, like you name them, Jeff Bezos. I've always idolized these, you know, these groups of entrepreneurs and they never talk about themselves taking breaks right. or at least you don't hear of it as often as you hear like, you know, you just want to keep working and you want to become more successful and there's always a new milestone. There's always more to get. And, you know, the company's depending on you and you have to work harder than everybody else. So I think it's partially that the other part of why even nowadays, like I'm like, Oh, work-life balance, but uh, I barely <laughs> even get a chance to respond to Slack. I'm sure there's moments where you slack me and I take all day. Cause I'm literally in back to back zoom meetings, which is, so unhealthy. Like there's days where I don't even go outside for a walk because I'm literally just so exhausted sitting in my chair for 10 hours doing back-to-back -back Zoom meetings. And I think people do that because it's easy to get into the habit of what you're doing and you don't prioritize the other thing more, right? Whether it's a revenue goal, it's a deal, it's getting this new position filled, right? I just can't get my mind off of that. And I think a lot of people who are you know, unfortunately, in leadership positions or as a founder, like just get groomed to think like that. It's kind of like, oh, like, I would love to go to the gym. It's such a good idea. Like I need to be healthy. But you never really do it because you value just eating unhealthy or grabbing that cheeseburger or sitting on your couch more than the idea of actually going to execute to go get fit. And it comes down to building it in and kind of forcing yourself right to structure in two days off, even if you don't want to, like making yourself take those two days off or making yourself cut off work at a certain time. 
And it's definitely hard. I mean, like going to the gym, right? It's it's a muscle and it's just something where you have to build that habit and building habits is really fucking hard. So mm-hmm. I definitely agree. But I but I do hope that, you know, you keep going with the, you know, every quarter at least, take a week, take a Turo car, get a, get a, a, a Tesla or something and drive into the country for a few days so you don't end up back in the hospital at any time in the future. <laughs> I have no plans on going back. Part of me feels blessed because I obviously made it out alive when many are not that fortunate. And hopefully the one thing that I could get out of it is a ton of antibodies to not have to at least think <laughs> about this until the next pandemic. But I'll definitely be taking care of myself. Like it's it's really shifted my mindset. I I always think back, one of our, our software engineers, Michael, he was actually the first person to just wear a mask to work. And he'd wear one when he'd leave. And he's like, hey, Kev, you want one? Like, this thing's serious. And I would just be like, think it was a joke. And be like, oh, man, I don't want to look like a fool with a mask. And joke's on me because I, <laughs> shit, I, I should have taken two of them from him and put two of them on. Because obviously, you know, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of other reasons that maybe it would have happened anyways. But, yeah, I, I definitely want to take care of myself and, you know, not get too worked up and stressed out and and back up in, in the hospital. Definitely. So, I mean, obviously, you're still on a road to recovery, right? It might it still might be a, a while before you feel like you're back at 100%. But, you know, looking ahead, uh, what are things that you're kind of most excited about now and, and kind of going into the future? Most excited about 2020 to end. This is just a real, real crappy year. I know a lot of people say this, maybe as a cop-out answer, is like, I can't wait for this to be over. And when it's over, I'm sure I'll be feeling a lot more like 100%. The world won't be in such shambles because of this thing. And I I really miss the in-office experience, even just a couple days a week, like seeing everybody, not sitting at your computer, like, Mm -hmm. I can't wait to be able to give you a hug and like go out and actually celebrate, you know, with the team. And Mm -hmm. It's tough. And I really empathize for everybody that's going through this, especially like working parents. Like I see it firsthand in all my Zoom meetings now. It's like at least two to three Zoom meetings. There's like either like a crying baby or a child or a dog or cat in your case that's, you know, in harm's way and they got to take care. It's it's really tough doing what we're doing. So I I can't wait for some normalcy again. Yeah. The actual normalcy that we all remember. Yeah, new new normalcy is depressing. This is not normal. This is it will always be an aberration that we have to deal with, and then we'll return to normal hopefully in the near future. Yeah. Well, it's can't tell you how great it is that at least virtually to see you doing well and and being back and doing an incredible job leading the team. I think it's crazy what you've gone through and how much you've bounced back, even if it is you still faking it for for a part of it, which I'm sure is still true. It certainly looks pretty incredible from my perspective. Well, I really appreciate that. I think people, people like you and people like everyone else at Catalyst uh, make it a lot easier for me to just fake it and make it because, you know, I think I always have this saying is like the co-founders get the easy part. As long as they bring in really incredible people, you know, the, the job is going to get done. Um, and I think that's very much what Catalyst has done today. Yeah, you're definitely picking up your feet and just relaxing and letting us all do the work. <laughs> oh, I'm actually not doing it every single day. It's fake Google Calendar and Zoom meeting and then just talking to myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. Yeah, just got to fake busy. Exactly. Awesome. Last question for you. If you were hosting a podcast, which product would you want to be sponsored by if it meant you could get an unlimited free supply? Oh, this is a, this is a good question. And I cheated a little bit because I knew this one was coming. Yeah, you have to beat Ed's uh, Uber helicopter request because I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> Uber helicopter request. Yeah, that's never going to happen. I think for me, 
if I'm trying to do something reasonable, I would say harmless harvest coconut water is my absolute favorite. And that's a very reasonable thing to ask for a lifetime supply. Yeah. I can write to them. I'll write to them after this. <laughs> I know this. you will. You even wrote to Danny Myers when we asked you to. True. Yeah, Harmless Harvest is my favorite drink of all time, and it costs you know $7 a bottle, and I, it's way above my pay grade right now to just have a refrigerator full of it. But my goal is you know, one day when I retire, I'm going to open up my fridge, and there's literally just a row for Harmless Harvest coconut water <laughs> that I didn't pay for because nice. you sent it to me. Nice. That's my new OKR. <laughs> that is your OKR for the next five years. All we have to do is say that you used it as part of your recovery and just mark it as like a COVID recovery serum. And then we'll uh, we'll either get sued or we'll get them to sponsor us or both. So. Shit, that will sell, won't it? Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. I hope you stop working the rest of this evening and have a nice relaxing uh, Yeah, I most definitely will try to do that. <laughs> so no. All right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. If you want to learn more about Catalyst, visit Catalyst.io. Until next week, I'm Ben Wynn, and this was NPS I Love You. P.S. I love you. <laughs>